The Creatives with AI Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Creatives with AI Podcast. I'm your host, David. And on today's show, we have Colin Gray. Colin's a podcaster, speaker, PhD, and he's also the founder of thepodcasthost.com and Alitu. Podcasthost.com is a huge audio, video, and written resource on how to create a successful show. I've been spamming the videos in in preparation for this today, and I can tell you he's got some great advice, and there's some great stuff in there for aspiring podcasters and videographers and and YouTubers if you want to do that as well. Uh, So well worth a look on that. And Alitu is a podcast maker tool, so it's a platform that helps people create and produce their podcast in a really easy way, and I'm sure Colin will be more than happy to tell you a little bit more about that instead of butchering it. So let's get cracking. The Creatives with AI Podcast, the spiritual home of creatives curious about AI and its role in their future. Colin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, David. It's good to be here. Awesome. That's probably a good point. Maybe if we just quickly, it's the standard podcast format. So if you can just give a little bit of your background, just so people know where you're coming from, yes. and then we can get into a conversation from there. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, the short story is I was uh, an educator years back. I, uh, well, I started as a freelancer doing web design, e-commerce, that kind of stuff, helping people set up sites, but I ended up teaching that at universities. So I was teaching a little bit of web design, a little bit of animation, all that kind of stuff. And I eventually ended up in learning technology, which means just really teaching teachers how to teach with technology. <laughs> you can say two T's in a row. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so <laughs> it's like a kind of meta thing, teaching how to teach. But I really enjoyed it, actually, just figuring out how to use tech and media to help people learn more effectively, how, how to teach more effectively too. And and one of the fancy, uh, you know, technologies that came out back in, started 2004, 2005, but I kind of discovered it 2007 or eight was of course podcasting, this very thing we're on. And I was actually told to look into it by my boss. Uh, so he was like, oh, there's this new right. thing called pod something. Are you going to have a look at that? When, when was uh, that? That was 2007. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Early, early days. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it was the time when you still had to go and buy a like a USB stick MP3 player, plug it yeah. into your computer, and like drag and drop the files over. It was horrible. It's an awful experience. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I ended up, despite all of that, I just, I just loved the medium. I mean, it's, it's all the things that people love about it these days, which is the kind of, the intimacy of it, the personality that comes across, the real in-depth, you know, information and the entertainment you get from it. So I just kind of fell into it and started writing about it. And really that writing is what became the podcast host, which is the blog that's really the kind of central hub of our our business today. A whole bunch of blog articles on there, a bunch of podcasts, uh, videos. And like you said, led to developing the software as well, because that was one of the things that our readers were really struggling with was the editing side of things. So that's kind of a potted history of how I got to where we are just now. Yeah, it's been really interesting. I've talked to a lot of people who've done it for a long time and and the progression. And I think you're going to have a really interesting perspective on it as well. Because when you started, certainly, I mean, even like you said, you know, when you started in the beginning, it was a very manual process. Oh, yeah, horribly. Yeah. And, you know, part of the reason that I suspect that we've seen this explosion of podcasts is, well, one, I think people like, I think people like having an uncurated feed and, and, and uncurated conversation. So broadcast media is very, very, you know, it's very controlled. Mm. You've got 
different media channels have their own sort of agendas and you have, you know, some stations are very conservative, some stations are very liberal and they have audiences and they tailor their messages. And I think people like having an unfiltered sort of, you know, experience. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's one from the audience perspective. I know I certainly do. But the other side is the tools that are available now, like, you know, your tool, Alatu. And I think there's, it's so easy to do these days. And if you sort of sat back and just reflected a little bit on how the industry has changed, even in the past, I would say three years, what, like, what do you think about that? And, 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 how do you, you know, how, do, where do you think that's going to go? Oh yeah. It's, it's, it's just really, it's almost weird to look back at the progression. Like, like you say, not even that long ago, how different podcasting was. I think you're totally spot on there about why people fall into it. It's that kind of, it's the one place I think where you get, a. Uh, Ah, the transparency, the honesty, the the openness. It's the one place where people, no matter who they are, from celebrities to complete normal people like ourselves, like just talk about, you know, their daily lives, their experience, their, you know, their their loves, their hates, all those things that we're just really interested in. It's like the closest you can have to having a friend in your ears, like chatting to you compared to, you know, it's just not the same and reading a blog or watching a, a YouTube video even. It's just, there's something in between the two of you but with audio, it's just straight in your head, like a conversation. It's so cool. I love. I still love it as as much as I did like 15 years ago when I first found it. But the industry, yeah, it's, I forget the dates sometimes. It was about 2014, I think. Does that sound right? When Apple put the podcast app on the iPhone. Yeah, it was somewhere around there, I think. Something yeah. like that. that I mean, 14, that was a watershed moment. Yeah. yeah, totally. Like th- there was just this whole legion of people who suddenly had a podcast app by default on this device that they have in their pocket every single day connected to the internet too so it meant that you didn't have to have this horrible process that i used to do which was literally you would plug in your mp3 player delete all the episodes that you've listened to upload the ones that you have and it's just nasty but suddenly it was just it turned it into this thing where you can just pull out your phone at any point and there's a new episode there the latest stuff is just there waiting for you it was just it was so life-changing that part that well it was on ipods back then point. wasn't it yeah yeah exactly you could use it on ipods but it was yeah it was kind of the the automatic syncing that just changed the, the game so yeah i don't know the last few years though like yeah what have you seen change most in the last few years in podcasting i think it's the audio tools Mm-hmm. And the editing tools. Yeah. For me personally, I think that's made the biggest difference. And also things like transcription. Yeah. You know, now or even a year and a half ago, if you, I mean, there were specialist tools in the market, yes, but they were very expensive. And I think mm. they, you know, you had to be really serious about doing it. So maybe if you were an agency, you might have that software because you used it across a lot of clients and things like that. But yeah. you know, even to generate a transcript of an episode and do your show notes and all that sort of stuff, in summaries, it was very, very time consuming. <laughs> totally. Now, yeah, that's a big idea. Yeah. You know, we'll we'll record. Obviously, you've got your own tool that that does this as well, I think. But, you know, we'll record this. And we use Riverside and, you know, I've talked about it before, but, you know, we'll, we'll have this recording when we finish, it'll be what five or 10 minutes and then the recordings will be ready to go. Mm. And I click a button and it will generate show notes, transcripts, suggested titles, you know, keywords, everything that I need. And then it will, 
you know, I even have the ability to, you know, to add intros and outros to the beginning and end. I can edit the whole thing. I can do all of that. I mean, I could, we could literally have a produced show and I could have it ready to go for tomorrow. That's just that you couldn't do that until about a year ago, really, I think. And it was, it was hard, much harder. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 I mean, we, we kind of got to that point with Alitu maybe a couple of years ago, but it, it's, yeah, it's been, it's very recent, very recent. And it's, it's terrifying, isn't it? Like transcripts, we spent yeah. thousands of dollars on transcripts over the years, yeah. uh, getting episodes, transcribed videos, all that kind of stuff. And that's all human. It was all like using rev.com, that kind of thing, like yeah. a dollar an hour, uh, sorry, that's a dollar right. a minute kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but now it's just, I mean, it's free and if you think, in most yeah, cases. You know, that's, that's 60, 65 pounds for a normal episode. Yeah. Yeah, and then, totally. you know, I don't even pay that for, you know, my subscription to the, you know, to, to my audit, to my platform. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, yeah. But it's, it's like, that, that's just one of the things that's been disrupted, isn't it? Like that's a whole industry that uh, you, we, we tried some of the automated tools in the early days and we thought, no, it's still worth the proper like yeah. human based ones. But nowadays yeah. actually it's just, it's just about as accurate. Honestly, I had a yeah. really interesting conversation with a guy actually named Steve Dunlop, who's going to be mm -hmm. on the show later. Mm -hmm. We're, we're going to record a chat in January and I don't want to steal all of his thunder, but one of the things I heard him say on another podcast was he made the point we were, he was talking about voiceovers and obviously, you know, there's a tremendous opportunity for people to get much better sounding voiceover work because you can go to something like 11 labs and you can drop some, you know, just put some text in. It's got an AI generated voice. That's actually very, very high quality. Mm, yeah. Um, and you know, there was this, the, I think the the person whose podcast he was on, you know, said, isn't there a worry, you know, in the industry about this? And he said, actually, no, because the companies that are spending big budgets on doing ads and that sort of thing, they're like the cost of a real person to do voiceover is like not even non-existent in the budget. Like mm. they've, they've got a 4 million pound budget and to pay 200, you know, 200 pounds out of 4 million to get a human to read something is not a bit like they don't even think about that. So there's no kind of downward pressure on rates and those sorts of things for, for real voiceover actors. But it's, it's the small companies. And this is the same that I'm seeing with copywriting as well. It's not, mm -hmm. you know, Virgin Media or, you know, big companies like that or Sky or whatever, like they're still going to get people, real people to do the work for them. They're going to write their own copy. They're going to do all of that. You know, they're going to pay copywriters to do work for them and, and, mm. and videographers and all that sort of stuff. That's not where the issue is. It's the issue with the small companies, which make up like 90% of all businesses. And yeah. it's, it's those of us, and I, I, I've said many times on the podcast before, you know, ironically, I have a podcast where we talk about, you know, AI eating into people's jobs, yet I use all the AI tools I possibly can so that I don't have to hire anyone. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I don't know about you, though. I've, I've found, I mean, I am absolutely certain that it will cut some jobs it'll cut it'll mm. cut some earnings from certain people probably a lot over the years but i it hasn't stopped us it hasn't cut down what we pay real humans at all in the last year the last two years it's just made me do more with with the tools um because yeah. we, we've kept the same budget for employing actual people to do real stuff yeah um, and i've just done more using ai myself exactly. with, with a lot of the stuff i've done yeah. so that's yeah. how i'm looking at it just now it's just it's it's kind of given us 10 times 20 times whatever what yeah. we can do and i the other thing that's been really interesting is to see who's doubled down on it and who mm -hmm. hasn't 
And it's for me, it's going to be interesting, I think, to watch over time to see what happens. So, for example, Adobe has to, they haven't even doubled down. They've like tripled down. Yeah. They've put yeah. AI, generative AI into all their visual tools, their audio yeah. tools, like everything. And they did it so quickly. It's unbelievable how quickly they did it. And, you know, their position was, is we work with creators. We're going to give them tools. This is just another tool that they can use. And, you know, we're going to, we're going to be the lead on it. Where you have other platforms and other industries where they've said, absolutely not. We're going to resist it the whole way. We're not going to use yeah. it. And <laughs> I just, I wonder if it's going to end up sort of like the whole Napster and music thing where it's almost like some of those people miss the trick and yeah. they're going to miss the wave in the beginning. And those companies that are the early adopters are really going to end up being even more successful in the end. There's a there's a funny balance there though, isn't there? Because we so we did implement we experimented with it early. So as soon as you know, uh, OpenAI particularly, their API became quite open and we start playing with it, see what we could do. And we've got a few implementations built into, into our tooling. So you can you can get show notes written, you can get titles described, all that kind of stuff. But there's a lot of the work that we did. We've we've also so it kind of goes into that we created a show planner, which is in a way, it's right. just a wrapper for ChatGPT to help you plan your podcast. Okay. Um, totally free tool that we wanted to build just to help people create their plan. It asks the right questions. It puts some of our experience around like how you can plan one well for success, all that kind of stuff. And we've, we built it, what we started maybe six months ago. Uh, maybe even closer to a year ago on that one. And we've just found ourselves refactoring that again and again and again as things yep. have changed with the API. And particularly things like, like one example is the, the chunking. So initially, you know, we wanted somebody to upload a transcript, for example, to get an idea of their voice and what they talk about. And we had to try and figure out how to chunk that into pieces that we could actually upload to the API because it can only take a certain amount of, right. um, of, um, of words. And then... So we put a lot of work into that. And then a month later, suddenly the, you know, the size of the <laughs> yeah. chunks that you can put in are much bigger. And actually there was yeah. no need for it whatsoever. Yeah. So we keep spending time solving these problems that OpenAI and all their competitors just solve a month later. So there's, there's definitely like a balance between being that early adopter enough to experiment with it, but also not putting so much resource into something that's just entirely changing, entirely... I don't know, it keeps the, the effort you put in can often be thrown out straight away as soon as it's, as soon as something does change in future. Well, that's just the, that's the nature of a new technology, isn't it? Like you've got to, everybody's got to figure out how to use it. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, and, and the landscape is constantly changing because like you said, you know, the, the requirements are changing, the prices are changing, mm -hmm. you know, I'll ask you, I'll, I'll seed this in your mind right now, but, you know, sort of your predictions of what you think might happen next year. But one of the things I think that we'll start to see in 2024 is is some, some merger and acquisition sort of activity, and we'll get some consolidation in the market, I think, where hmm. I think you're going to start to see either similar or complementary AI company technologies merging together to get yeah. some economies of scale. But but also to to make those tools a bit more well rounded, and it's you know it's funny you mentioned that like 
Riverside's a good example. When I started using Riverside, there was no AI. There was no anything built into it. It was literally just a recording platform and you download your video and audio files. Now it does all this stuff that it didn't do before. And, you know, shout out to Podium. I use Podium as well to, to do show notes and, and, and all that sort of stuff. And Podium in the beginning was literally like drag and drop a file. And then it literally just gave you a zip file of a few text bits back. And that was, you know, that was, <laughs> yeah. it was very rough and ready, but now it's very got simple, a much yeah. nicer UI and it's a lot easier to use and, yeah. you know, and, and all this stuff is developing really quickly. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so what, how much do you actually use AI yourself in your sort of day to day and what sorts of things do you use it for? Yeah, a lot, to be honest. I mean, we, I use it so much for planning. And ideation and stuff like that. Like as a as a creator, you know, one of the biggest things we do is come up with new ideas and topics and things like that. And just so something I was working on today, for example, we run a newsletter, the Podcast Pointers, where we send out you know tips for podcasters once a week. And I was putting together a new series uh, for for that. And something I like to do, and I, I try and encourage a lot of people to do in their podcasts, is actually to think in sort of larger chunks and seasons. So you link your episodes together. And I do this in my podcasts, I do it in my emails, I do it in my YouTube videos, that kind of stuff, because there's a whole lot of advantage in having, you know, five podcast episodes that actually link from one to the next to the next, rather than, you know, a different topic every single week. And it's the same with blog posts, same with emails. So AI has made that a whole lot easier for me because it helps me to kind of pick apart the parts of a topic. I'll I'll use it to research the questions people are asking just now, give me some ideas of things I could write about, and then I'll use it to tease out how do you break this down into components? And obviously I kind of put my own thoughts into there as well, but I'll end up with, you know, one big question that breaks down into 12 different sections. And then I'll actually take every section and put like five to 10 bullet points on every one of those sections. And yeah. by the end of that, you know, 20, that used to take me maybe an hour, an hour and a half doing it by myself. So you can do it by yourself, but yeah. With the help of someone like ChatGPT, I can do that in 15, 20 minutes. And I still put my own spin on it. I still put my own experience into it. But it just creates this plan for the next, what if it's 12, that's like three months worth of content. So I've got 12 episodes all planned out ahead of time. I can turn that into, like I said, an email series, but I can then convert it into a podcast episode series as well. And then for YouTube and all the different places. So that's one of the biggest places it's actually saved me you know, headache, time, stress, just helping me to distill those ideas that are somewhere in my head, but I just need prompts. (laughs) Exactly. Well, yeah, funnily enough. Yeah. Is is ChatGPT, is that your favorite tool or do you have others that you like to use for different tasks? I actually, yeah, I I subscribed to that in the early days. As soon as they had their paid plan came out, I subscribed to it just to play around with it. And I've ended up sticking with that. I've played around with some of the other ones, like Claude in particular, but uh, yeah, I've mostly stuck with ChatGPT actually, especially since they've made it more multimodal. You know, I, I don't have to go elsewhere for my images or to upload files and all that kind of stuff too. So yeah. yeah. What, what do you favor these days? I have different, I use different tools for different things. So yeah, yeah. to do the ideation and the outlining and all that sort of stuff, ChatGPT is genius at yeah. doing that sort of thing. I feel like they've they've definitely tinkered around with how it works in the background because you used to be able to say, you know, suggest a, you know, I don't know, suggest a a summary of or an introduction for, you know, a business plan for a podcasting studio. And it would just Mm -hmm. write you a bunch of stuff. What it does now is it says, if I were writing this, here are the topics that I would include. So it doesn't give you the answer. It 
steers you towards the answer instead of actually giving you the text. It's like an is, opinion. Yeah, which is, <laughs> but it's 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 more of that bullet point kind of ideation yeah. thing that you're yeah. talking about, and I find it really good for that. I also find it very good for analyzing text that I already have. So I might write something, and then I'll say, well, analyze this, like summarize this for me. And what I want to see is, is the summary that it generates what I'm actually trying to say. So, and and I do that a lot with things like, because I, I work a lot with public sector and I have to write a lot of information mm. that goes into bids and stuff like that. So I'm like, I have a question and then I need to write an answer for that. And I want to know, did I actually answer the question? So it's good for doing that kind of stuff yeah. as well. And, and you don't have to worry about it hallucinating then because it's, it's only analyzing the words that you've given it. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And so I find yeah. it really good for that. Kind of limits that, yeah. I, I like it a lot for critiques, actually. Yeah. I, I often use it for if I'm writing up, uh, let's say, a, a page yeah. to sell one of our courses, um, as an example. And I'll put in some of my copy. I'll put in the headline and a few paragraphs. And I'll just say, from the point of view of a sales page, um, you know, take the point of view of um, this copywriter, that copywriter, their style. Give me some critique on this. And then ask it once it's given the critique, often I'll feed back in and say, using this critique, can you re rewrite that yeah. landing page? And it's funny when you, have you tried to sort of given it a few levels of this in the past? Yeah. In terms of, yeah, so you've just written that one. Can you critique your own page from the point of view of this other copywriter? Yeah. Oh, based on that critique, please rewrite it again. Please rewrite and, it, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And often you can do that two or three times and sometimes it ends up going off, off the rails. But actually more often than not, you get something really kind of refined out of it that way, I think. Yeah, I, I remember about a year, almost a year ago already, there was a professor at the Wharton School of Business and... He was one of the very first sort of university level professors that came out publicly and said that, you know, that they had integrated it into the MBA program like immediately. Uh, really? Yeah. And, but what he found is, is, is his coaching to his students was that you need to go basically five levels deep. So you can ask it for something, it'll give you an answer. And then you have to narrow that down. And mm, then you have to narrow that yeah. down and you have to narrow that down. And he's, yeah. he's like, once you get to about the fifth time of doing that, you're now in something that's actually really useful, but you can never take the first answer that you get. And, yeah. you know, which, which I've found as well, it's, you know, if you just ask it something, you usually need to refine and refine and refine. Yeah. Yeah. Keep asking questions of that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. I find we, I, the other thing I use it a lot for is repurposing our media. So yeah. we talked before we got on this around what you'll do with the video, what you do with the recording, we'll probably turn it into clips. We'll put it in other places, that kind of stuff. And I find it really quite useful for that. But similarly, that needs a lot of guidance. I find like um, show notes are the bane of every podcaster's life. <laughs> yeah. You record an episode, you speak for an hour yeah. and that's what we like to do. We like to speak, we like to chat, but we don't like to write. <laughs> but a podcast is like 10 times as effective in terms of a growth kind of vehicle if you have good written material alongside it. It just expands so much how you can grow a podcast if there's show notes, which, you know, good show notes are really just a blog post that says the yep. same thing as the podcast episode. And even better, you'll have things in there like, you know, a list of the resources mentioned with links. You'll have the people mentioned with links. You'll have takeaways, like here are the five or six things you can do with it. Here's the tasks you can follow up on and maybe chapters as yep. well, like with time codes and stuff like that. And that all used to take me like an hour, hours. two hours. 
Yeah, <laughs> it's not more. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but with a good bit of guidance, I find if I just give the transcript and say, give me a summary and give me the chapters, it's it's always a wee bit hit and miss. Mm. But if I actually kind of give it a little bit of the context, like this episode was about this, this and this, you know, I think the first half of it, we covered this, the first, second half, we covered that. And then pick out chapters that maybe match those topics and give me some suggestions. And then you can start to kind of narrow down based on that. I find, yeah, it takes a couple of rounds, but that's actually one of my biggest time savers. As long as I can kind of narrow down, refine it a little bit, you can get some really good results out of it that way. Yeah. I've seen some people doing some really amazing prompting with it as well. I was, uh, we had an event here in Tunbridge Wells not too long ago that I, mm-hmm. I was sort of emceeing for, but one of the yeah. speakers was works in marketing and he was actually putting in all the audience codes, right? So getting extremely specific to say, this is targeted at, and then giving all the different sort of internal industry codes for, you know, how they refer to different demographics oh, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, I'd never even thought about that, <laughs> you know, but, but for someone who's an expert in an industry, right. And they use those metrics and he knows those codes off the top of his head because that's how they target their content. That's how they yeah. write their copy. And, you know, you can feed all that stuff in again to get more specific, more tailored answers. Yeah, that's interesting, actually. Like, one way I've used it that way, I've been learning Spanish recently. So I've, I've used that for a bit to, for language learning, just asking questions, having a conversation. And I, found, I discovered one day that there are like official classifications in Spain for the levels yep. of Spanish. So yep. like there's, I, I, I had no idea about this until I discovered it just like a year into trying to learn Spanish. And suddenly with ChatGPT, then I could say, give me a conversation, but only up to level, what was it? A, B2 or something like that. Like that's the kind of the classification of the level that I think I'm at or pushing towards. So yeah, you're right. It's like, it's hard to find those. Maybe that's what you can use ChatGPT for as well, or whatever you know model you're using, isn't it? Like yeah. to actually try and discover some of those frameworks, some of those classifications within your industry that actually then give it really good guidance on on refining, on getting more specific, on really making it yeah. much better quality. I didn't really realize that you had an education background, and and I don't know if you've listened to, and to any of the the educators that I've had on, but I've had a couple of educators on, and mm-hmm. and it's the the stuff they're doing in education at the minute, and the stuff that's coming is amazing. Not just from the fact of sort of teachers and educators using it to create new and better and more engaging content for their students, but also yeah. for students to prepare for things like their A-levels and their GCSEs, which are the standardized tests here in the UK. If you're in the US, that won't mean anything to you, but it's sort of <laughs> like SATs and ACTs. So, but, you know, those written answers, those are written answers mainly. And the kids these days, I mean, my son just did his GCSEs, you know, they, they spent nearly a year practicing how to answer the questions and all that sort of stuff. But now what the students are doing is they're saying they're taking the, the, the mock question, writing their answer, and then saying, grade it and suggest a way that I could have done a, I could have written a better answer. Mm, yeah. And they're using that almost like a tutor to be able to get better and better at answering the questions. And I'm like, that's genius. I yeah. mean, that's such a yeah. genius way to use the tool. And <laughs> You know, as an ex, you know, sort of educator and someone training educators that I figured that must be interesting for you as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, I mean, we are, I'm, I'm quite far out of the education world these days, but we still do our own education. Of course, we still create our own courses and I, even seeing 
some of the platforms like, you know, Teachable and Podia and stuff like that. Like, which one was it? Well, I think it was Thinkific, actually. I was playing around with creating some new courses. And you could just type in a course title now, and it basically creates the framework for you to then fill in the gaps. And obviously, you'd want to put in your videos and things like that, but arguably, you could get them done by, you know, AI in some more form as well these days. It's, yeah. I, I find that one of the most fascinating bits of it, I find, is the kind of explosion in um, faceless videos on YouTube and how they actually how they actually still really engage people. Have you, have you come across a lot of them? I'm sure you have. They're the bane of my existence. <laughs> I so, hate them I'm with so. a passion that burns of a thousand suns. Um, oh, I get that. Yep. No, it, it, I, I run across them all the time and, and, yeah. you know, I'm trying to build my skills as a, as a podcaster and as an interviewer yeah. and as a host and, and, you know, and also trying to, you know, do the audio processing because I want to do more of that myself. And then I want to get more into doing video next year. And so trying to learn things like Premiere Pro and how to do basic video editing and that sort of thing. And so I'm constantly looking for instructional videos and, and, you know, how to's and all that sort of stuff. And the sheer number and proliferation lately of the faceless, you know, AI scripted and read videos is doing my head in because they're terrible. 90, 99.8% of them are terrible. Yeah. And it's just, it's clogging up. The people like you and and Mike Russell, who I've had on before, and mm. you know, there's tons and tons and tons of people who do amazing instructional content out there, and it's just getting absolutely blown away and and drowned in all of this, yeah. frankly, terrible yeah. video, you know, content, and and people are just churning it out by the thousands, yeah. if, you yes. know, because it's a numbers game and it's oh, it's terrible. I don't know. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you how I really it, think it? in a minute. <laughs> Yeah, and the the sad thing, yeah, the sad thing is that you that like point zero two percent that succeeds is getting a you know so many views and real profit, which makes it worth. It's like it's like spam email, isn't it? You wonder like why are you sending me this? Like whoever actually clicks the link to buy this crap that you've just spammed me with, but there must be like point zero 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 one percent to do, and therefore it's worth it. It's going to be the same with content from now on. But I don't know. Do you do you see a world in the future where there's certification of some sort, like of humanity, of humanness. Like that's kind of what I'm thinking towards with our, because we, we do all types of content. Like our blog is one of our biggest traffic drivers. Um, it's just written content. Obviously written content is so under threat just now. Uh, but equally, like we've talked about, like even video and podcasting and audio is still a little bit too. But I think that keeping our humanity in there, keeping our stories, our personality, all that kind of stuff, it can still be copied. But there's something around, we've committed to no AI writing whatsoever in our, our blog. And therefore, we'll be able to have some kind of you know guarantee if people look in future that this is written by a human. I don't, I'm not sure if that's idealistic, optimistic, but I can see a world where that is a, there's a small percentage of people, 10, 20, 30%, who actually go out of their way to look for places that are certified, human written, human created, that kind of stuff, and maybe even willing to pay a little bit for it. Yeah. it's. I had this conversation with someone the other day, mm. and it's a question I've thought about a lot and, and, and something I want to dedicate a whole episode to at some point. But I think where we'll end up 20, 30 years from now is 
I, I think we will end up where you will have AI content that's amazing. And if you need, you know, if, if you want imagery for your show or your website or whatever, you can just go and get AI to make it. But there will, there will be exactly like you said, there'll be this human, you know, sort of human created element, but that's going to mm. be like the super, you know, that's going to be the super high level, the super expensive stuff. Do you know what I mean? Because it's, it's yeah. just going to get to the point, you know, where, and it, it's a race to the bottom on a lot of that stuff. You know, it's yeah. it's sort of like music now. If I need music for, for the podcast or I'm doing a video and I want to get some music or whatever, I can just go get some AI music that's been created that has no copyright on it because you can't copyright it because it was created by AI. Yeah, yeah. And it's totally original. And so that can just be used. Mm-hmm. But then if I, and if and if that's just my, short form social media videos and stuff like that, that I do, that's fine. If I do a, a film documentary though, I'm not going to use that kind of music for that. I'm going to get a, you know, I'm going to get a human to do it and a professional to do it because it's a different form and it's a different kind of thing. And so I'm trying to get across a different message. So I think we'll just end up where we have different tools for different things, but I think there'll always be the human element in there somewhere, but that's going to become you know, that's going to become the super deluxe, the really expensive, you know, luxury, um, the, the, the luxury tool. Yeah, potentially, potentially. Yeah, I wonder. I mean, I suppose there was already, was there already a bit of a flight to quality over the last 10 years, let's say, like um, Substack is a really good example, I think. Like for years, there's been free newsletters, free content on just about any topic you can think of. And yet Substack newsletters have grown and grown there's a there's a growing cadre of people who make a decent bit of money out of just charging you know five or ten a month to for people to subscribe to newsletters and you don't even need that big a subscriber base to make a decent living out of that as a an individual creator so i suppose we've shown that there's not insignificant number of people who are willing to pay a smallish amount even a big amount i suppose for quality content and I suppose the hope is that that continues, right. <laughs> even well, if we're all drowned in free information from all angles. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I think it will. And I know there's some tools for podcasts that are coming out with it that allow people to make micropayments as well. So, you know, yeah, you can offer yeah. to, you know, to pay in, in, in some sort of Satoshis or whatever digital content yeah. or uh, currency to say, you know, if, if I listen to the creators of the AI podcast, I'll give them, you know, I don't know, a pound for every episode that I'd listen to or whatever. And then it just sort of, you know, it will, it will do the payment in the background and all that stuff is coming. And I think people are, I think people are willing to pay for it at least at the minute because there is still a difference in it. I, I worry that at some point, you know, five years down the road, if the AI content is really going to be as good as most humans can do, then it it gets a bit woolly, but I think we're, I think the thing about the human content, and this goes back to social media, but in a second, I'll, I'll link it in. But yeah. the thing is, is that people are crazy and that's what's <laughs> fun about us, right? Like we do crazy random things that an AI would just never do because it does, yeah. it, it, yeah. it's the supreme of working at averages, right? It's, it's, it's taking all of human behavior, putting it into a bell curve. And then it's basically taking all that stuff in the middle. That's the most predictable. And then it throws a little bit of variety in on purpose. But other than that, it's, (laughs) it's always in that, you know, it's always always in the middle average. Yeah. And so, 
you need the humans to to provide the crazy <laughs> on either end. And that's what used yeah. to be fun about social media is yeah. before we had all the bots, before we had all the marketing, before we had all the ads, it was, you know, Twitter when it first came out, it was like, it was a bunch of people and they were all crazy. And that's what was fun about Twitter is because you could go see just people being nuts all over the place, <laughs> but you knew it was a person. Whereas now you don't know what it is. And you don't know yeah. where they come from and you don't know if it's real or not. And so it's kind of lost its luster because of that. And it's, again, I keep using this phrase today, but it's, it's like a race to the bottom almost. So mm. like, I don't even enjoy it anymore. It's, it's, it's not fun. I don't, I like Instagram on a personal level because it's pictures. And so, you know, and, and short videos and stuff, I don't do TikTok. So I do Instagram reels instead, which is basically the same thing, but <laughs> it's a visual thing. And I, I quite like that, but yeah, I don't know. I just, yeah. That's really interesting. Actually, there's, there's a, there's a concept I teach in our podcasting, all of the podcasting courses we do. It's one of the, one of the things I think is almost the most simple, but also the most, it seems to hit really a nerve with just about everyone that comes through all of the stuff that we teach. Um, and it's, it's just the, the live recording mindset, I call it, whereby um, when you're in your first 10 episodes of podcasting, just pretend you're going live. Don't edit. Commit to not editing at all. So you just hit record and you just go as if you're doing a webinar or, you know, a, yeah, a okay. Instagram live or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you just go with the flaws and you're just totally open and honest and you trip over your words and you mess things up and you say um and ah and all that stuff. But you put it out there anyway. And there's two reasons why we do this. One is one is that it makes it really easy to make your first 10 episodes. It makes you get them out there and you improve so fast as a presenter during those 10 episodes because you know you don't have editing as a crutch to rely on. You know that you have to listen back and improve those ums and those ahs and those crutch words and those slips and all that kind of stuff That's and harsh. get good and fast. So <laughs> yeah. it's a great way to get, it's, it's harsh, yeah. but it's yeah. a great way to get good and fast. It makes it easy. So you, get, you don't have to do editing, you get it out, you get past that kind of initial barrier of just kind of learning what the heck you're doing. But the other part is the kind of secondary benefit is kind of what you're getting at there, which is, it's just human. It's like you connect with people because you hear them making mistakes and you, it is utterly possible. And I've heard it done so many times to sanitize a recording, yeah. to sanitize a bit of media, media by taking out all of the mistakes and too many ums and ahs. And you just sound too perfect. Yeah. And maybe that's it. You're going to sound too much like an AI or a robot or something like that. Well, you, you then start to sound like a broadcaster. Yeah, yeah, I think that's yeah, totally. the difference yeah. is you, yep. you start to get that when it's, I would say over edited, which I was, I've been guilty of. And yeah. I did exactly the opposite when I started, but in my first five episodes, I had a co-host named Didi and Didi was excellent because she used to do radio show and stuff when she was in Spain. So she did that for several years. So she was an experienced broadcaster mm -hmm. and she was able to give me feedback and, and some support and things on the, you know, on the back end while, while I was learning a little bit, but yeah, I, I did exactly the opposite of what you recommend, you know, and I spent hours and hours and hours, like, yeah. like three, it took me three times as long 
as the recording. So if I had an hour long recording, it took me three hours to edit the episode. That is so common. And and that's exactly why I talk about this so much, because that is the biggest killer of podcasts. It's the biggest killer of so many of YouTube channels, of blogs, of anything, anything creative. That is what kills it, is you spending too much time, not you, the royalists spending too much time editing, cutting, um, like worrying about making it perfect. And you never get past that first, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 releases which gets you to finding your voice, gets you to figuring out what you're actually going to talk about, gets you to a few listeners that you can then ask, like, what do you actually like about this? Get some feedback. All of those things require you to do 20 episodes, get some reps in and actually do it. But the over-editing, the perfectionism, it kills that. It stops you getting there. So yeah, that's totally it. That's exactly why we talk about it. <laughs> and on that, I have a question and I've, I've yeah. wondered this. In your experience, because you've, you've seen a lot of people go through this process, my working theory, my personal working theory is, is that the older someone is when they start, the more of the, that perfectionist that they feel they need to be. Whereas the, the younger people who kind of grew up with mobiles and, and very easy access to record stuff on a mobile phone, say, are much less worried about that. Is that something that you see or am I, or do you, yeah, am I off on yeah. Absolutely. No, there's definitely a trend that way for sure. Maybe just the fact that, you know, as even when I grew up, like, you know, you didn't have rough media. Every bit of media you consumed was a TV program. It was a film. Like you said, it was a broadcast on a radio station. There was no rough, ready media. Whereas, yeah, so much of it now is is just like that. But I, I don't think it's entirely, I think, even the, the younger people we work with, like even stuff, 18 to 20 year olds, they still have, they still often do have a big bit of perf- perfectionism in them. They're willing to be more rough, but they still then want to put too much into it sometimes in terms of the, the time to, to edit and all that stuff. So it's, it's not been eradicated entirely, but you're absolutely right. I think yeah. in my experience, it's definitely we tend more that way. Yeah, because that's that, I think that's when I started to dig into it just within myself. I thought about it a lot. And I think it's because I was so used that the only time we ever saw anybody was because it was on TV or it was on the radio. And so I felt like the standard was so high that I have to meet that standard. And that's what was almost holding me back. And I wanted to do some live shows and I wanted, I really want to do video. And I worked out that I'm, I'm not very good at video editing. I don't know how to video edit, although it's something I'm learning. Mm -hmm. But if I want to do a video podcast, I just need to take the video that I've got and I can't edit it because I hate jump cuts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I, so you just have to go raw. <laughs> so I just, I just have to put it out there. So I've really, really tried the ums and ahs I've tried to get out of my speech. I have yeah. a few other, I call them ticks. I have a few other ticks that I say a lot that I've noticed. Yeah. So I've replaced the ums and ahs with something else that now annoys me to death. So... <laughs> I have to work on that, but it, it's it's something for me to constantly work on. But I've got to but the do, point yeah. now, the yeah. last few episodes, where I don't know if it's I've just become comfortable with the fact that when I say something boneheaded or I make a mistake or I, like yeah. I'm talking quite, I feel like I'm talking quite a lot in this episode, and, and that kind of bugs me. <laughs> no, but I just no, got to go with it, right? Much better episodes just are just conversations, chat, right? so, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, but. <laughs> Anyway, I know what you mean and and I can feel it yeah. and I've I've relaxed into it and like you said I've tried to find my own voice and I'm a little bit more comfortable with my voice yeah. not just hearing my voice but my voice and that makes it easier as well so I don't feel like I have to edit as much out 
I do very minimal editing these days. I usually, you know, you'll know we had a, a conversation that was being recorded at the beginning that I'll cut off and yeah. I might, you know, chop a bit off at the end, but basically That's it fair. will go yeah. pretty much as is. The the audio one I might tidy up a little bit, but you know, the video one, if I if I put up the video, I'll just put it up. I mean, you know, There's such a drinking, power to that. looking yeah. around, you know, being yeah. stupid in my saying yeah. hat, like whatever, it doesn't matter. I think there's a funny, there's a, what would you call it, a barbell um, shape of payoff in that, in the editing, in that there's um, real strength at either end and nothing in the middle. So people should either, I think, in my opinion, <laughs> not edit at all, like just put it out raw, just yeah. like you were talking about, like just a trim, start and end, make sure the start is like, just starts with the voice, there's none of that rustling of paper at the beginning and same at the end and that is it, put it out. Or do quite a lot of editing, um, but to the content itself. So take an hour-long conversation like we're having just now and cut out half of it. Pick the best 30 minutes from that hour um, and that, and then put that out. But there's this bit in the... Someone else will have to do that. I well, that's I it. It's like, it takes so much time. It's like, it's really hard. It I've done that with many a show. Like we used to create highly produced stuff like that. And it's, you take an hour recording and it takes you a couple of days. It's not just yeah. like three times that like you yeah. were talking about. It's a couple of days work. You you get the transcript, you you spend like a couple of hours reading it. You start to cut things out. You start messing around with the order, all that kind of stuff. And you know, it leads to something significantly better. It does because you cut out the fluff and you can get the real highlights in there. But for most of us, I don't think it's worth the time now because actually the completely raw one is still good. Yeah. But like the point I suppose I'm trying to make is there's a bit in the middle where people do spend a few hours or half a day just cutting out ums and ahs and cutting out a few extra sentences and it barely improves it at all. There's a little bit of a quality improvement, but not by much, yeah. but it still adds so much time to the processes. It's a funny one, like adding it. That, this is one area of the audio editing point where I do wonder if AI will get to in a few years. I've, I've played around with this with a few different LLMs, like chucking in a transcript and saying, cut this down to 30 minutes. And usually it's just not very good. Like occasionally I've seen it hit, actually a pretty decent edit. It's similar with highlights. So, you know, like automatic clipping tools, like we're talking about, we're recording in Riverside. Yeah, yeah. It's got an AI clipping tool. It does, yeah. I find the hit rate on that, not Riverside in particular, but all of them is just really poor as well. It feels like, go on, go on. No, I was going to, sorry, as um, on the Riverside when it was, I, I yeah. think when it very first came out, it was 50-50. You think? I think it's much better now. Okay. Which yeah. I find really interesting, but I think what they're doing, and I'm, and I'm not sure, I don't think they're using the content as such, right? So let's just, A, first of all, before anybody yeah. jumps on either one of us, I have no idea how it works. I'm just guessing. <laughs> but if I were to guess, I suspect what they're doing is they say, okay, here was a recommended clip. Did they use that clip or not? Yes or no. And that's how they're reinforcing it. So, so they're just, yeah. the model is just learning. Did it use this response or not? So was this a good selection or not? And I, I suspect that the model is training itself in the back. It's not actually yeah. using that content in any way to, do you know what I mean? So it's, it's not taking somebody's copyrighted content and using that content. It's just saying, was that a good selection or not? Yeah. It's starting to train and itself it, on and what it's types training, of clips. Yeah. And, and it may even do it on a user by user basis. So it could say, you know, the creators of the AI podcast or, you know, my account, yeah. he likes these types of things. And so we'll start doing more. So I don't know, yeah. but it seems to be getting better than it was in the beginning. It was, it was, it was quite, woolly in the beginning but yeah it seems to be yeah. pretty good now 
I have to say, I found it. Yeah, I, I suppose it depends on the type of content. Maybe, maybe it's an indication of me being crap at short, sharp sound bites. <laughs> eh? But I found the hit rate was more like one in a hundred. Uh, yeah. okay. <laughs> like I, yeah, yeah. I really struggled. Yeah, like I've I've tried them all because there is such a kind of in demand tool for podcasters to be able to repurpose your audio, to be able to get out there because yeah. podcast loads of strengths, but one of its weaknesses is it's hard to share. You know, so clips are actually a really powerful thing for podcasters. So. Yeah tried them all and they just I've never found any that can pick out more than you know one clip out of every yeah, yeah it's really bad hit rate I've found but I'm, I'm sure that is you're absolutely right that's something that's going to improve a lot over the I next few so, years yeah. but I also have a kind of an optimistic hope stroke feeling that it might be one of those things that is really hard to solve it might be one of those kind of last one percent that takes 99 percent of the time just because it's such a subjective thing finding a little clip that's really going to capture people's imagination that's really going to hook people in that might be the really human thing that actually is really hard to replicate i'm not sure and that's where the personality of a show comes out isn't it it's each show and each host is going to be different. We're going to pull out different, like yeah. if you and I look yeah. at this, we might each pull out different things because of who we are sure and our we background yeah. and whatever. So, and that's the human factor that, that comes into it. Um, Kendall, shout out to Kendall at Riverside. She had a really good suggestion the other day when creating clips, which is sometimes she'll just take the questions and clip all the questions together into a short, like 30 second clip. So it's, you know, okay. when you ask somebody, you know, five or six questions or whatever, just all those little questions uh, that come up yeah. as a teaser to say, look, here's all the questions that I asked. And if you want to get the answers, you're going to have to listen to the episode. Yeah. And I thought that was quite clever. I haven't right. tried it myself like yet, but I thought that that was an interesting way to go through and to sort of, you know, try and try and find content. But um, yeah, for sure. Now, earlier. <laughs> cool. I'm conscious of time. We're sort of 53 minutes already, so we're, we're 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 running short. But I remembered the question. So for everybody who wasn't part of the conversation, I have a new question that I want to add into the the list of questions I ask at the end. And it's this: I remembered what it was. Do we have to be nice to AI, <laughs> or should we be nice to AI? I mean, I do. I have to admit, I've noticed myself doing this and I've not tried to talk myself out of it. I say please and thank you and stuff like that when I'm talking to, to any LLM I'm using. And I, I, I think, yeah, I mean, I think it's just, it's just uh, part of being a, a human that we should, when you're having a conversation, if we want these things to stay useful, we need to treat them actually the way you'd want to be treated, all that kind of stuff. There's some kind of weird ethical, moral things in there. I think that if we're going to treat them as a real assistant, then yeah, why not? Yeah. There's no harm, certainly, is there? Well, no. And it was interesting to see. So I, I sort of saw a thread on this and it mm -hmm. seemed to be very, very much 50-50. So a lot of people really? are like, yeah, like, why do I need to say please or thank you? Because it's a computer, it doesn't care. It was all based off a comment when a lady said that when she uses it to ask to help with code, she said she feels gratitude like she would with somebody that helped her, but she doesn't mm -hmm. know what to do with the gratitude because she knows that the computer doesn't care. And I was like, wow, that's a really interesting way to think about it because I never thought about that. But that is what it is. When, when you ask, you know, when you use AI as a tool and you ask yeah. it to help you with something and it gives you what you need and it gives you that answer, you do. You feel like this this weird sort of sense of gratitude, like you would to somebody if they helped you. And you'd be like, wow, that's really amazing. They helped me with that. But you don't know what to do with it. Like, 
And then you get this funny feeling. So yeah, it was, uh, I thought that was expressed in a really interesting way. And um, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I'm yeah. with you. I, I say please and thank you because when it takes over someday, I expect that it'll go, yeah, that guy was always I nice hope it'll me. remember. <laughs> <laughs> there, is a, there is a tiny bit of me that thinks that, to be fair. Exactly. <laughs> when it becomes sentient. <laughs> so another thing I'm always curious about is, is, is AI male or female for you? Oh, well, I, I have set my Siri to be uh, Irish and female. And I don't know what that says about me, but that's, that's who my uh, Siri assistant is, certainly. Is the Irish one um, about as close to sort of a Scottish accent as you'll get? Because there's probably not a Scottish one, is there? You do actually, I think you do get a Scottish one, but okay. I was like, no, nah, it's too grating. It's like a, a bad one. <laughs> That's right. So the Irish a little softer. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, I, I, I think I probably actually think of like when I'm chatting to, um, when I'm getting help from an LLM or something like that, I'm probably thinking about the male just because, you know, we always tend to identify with ourselves, don't we? So Interesting. Yeah. Okay. And if, when you have a personal assistant that takes care of your life for you, what are you going to name it? Oh, good question. <laughs> I'm not even sure. I, th I mean, I think, <laughs> I, yeah, I'll, I'll just call it pal. That's what I call everyone I like. Right. Okay. That's a good hey, answer, pal. actually. Give me, give me some hand. Give me some help with this, pal. I've, uh, <laughs> yeah, mate, fella, something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Always, I, I've asked these two so, questions a lot. Yeah. I'm always really interested in the answers and, and more from the psychology of, of how people think about it rather mm. than what their answer is. And, I think female wins out. I think it's about 60-40. Mm. And it doesn't matter what gender the person is that I ask. Is that right? Really? So yeah. it, it, it doesn't seem to skew along gender lines. But I, I suspect that it's mainly because so many of the sci-fi films and everything are all female. They often and yeah, it's, trend it's, that way. Yeah. It's sort of ingrained that in our head all the way back from Star Trek and kind of the, yeah. you know, the 50s or the 60s yeah. whenever you know Star Trek very first came out. It was a female yeah. voice. And I think that's just put that in our brain. And, uh, and maybe, of course, maybe, all the male ones are evil. So, well, I was about to say, maybe it goes back to that, you know, when the, when it takes over the world as well, well our kind of yeah. optimistic view is that hopefully it's more female inclined, as in it's kinder, less prone to idiocy like us males. <laughs> and we'll treat us decently. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I, was, I was about to tread on very, very sketchy territory there, but... Um, <laughs> Do you know, I, I had another thought about that, uh, about you thinking about being kind to it as well. There's something around, like I, I actually kind of believe the whole concept around your your true nature is who you are when nobody else is watching. Yep. You know, would you would you steal something if there was no chance you'd be caught? Or would yep. you, you know, do this unkind thing or evil thing if, if you knew there was nobody would ever see it? And there's something around that mm. as well. Like I kind of, I really value courtesy and respect and all that kind of stuff. So I think even with something like a, an AI, I don't know, maybe that kind of, I feel like yep. even if it doesn't matter, even if it doesn't care, even if no one's ever going to see, it's still worth doing just for that That's reason. That's a great point. I love it. I like that question. I'm going to definitely use that question moving yeah, forward and see what people think on it. Awesome. Thank you very much. Uh, before you go, I did it's a little welcome. intro at the beginning about your your two different things that you're working on, but maybe if you give everybody just a quick 
a quick description and shout out to the stuff that you're working on at the moment and where they can find it. Oh yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, we, so we do all of our writing and our content creation over at thepodcasthost.com. That's thepodcasthost.com. Um, and if you are thinking about starting a podcast, uh, we've got a big massive how to start guide there, which is under thepodcasthost.com forward slash start. And yeah, Alitu is our tool. Like I said, it's uh, it's got a good bit of AI built in in terms of the, the cleanup, does all of the, the noise reduction, leveling, all that stuff automatically. It helps add music in, theme music. It helps you with your editing. We've got transcription-based editing, like editing via text. Yeah. And um, we've got, you know, show notes writing, description writing, t- titles, episode titles, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So yeah, it's basically a designed to be an all-in-one podcast creator so if you yeah. fancy creating a podcast go over there that's alitu.com a-l-i-t-u.com and this is no joke i totally wish i'd seen that when i very first started because it probably would have made my life so much easier <laughs> I'm, i've sort of developed all my own workflows and stuff now yeah yeah and and and, and do more specialist stuff but colin thank you very much no, most welcome. It's been great to have a chat about it. All really interesting. Yeah. So uh, thanks for having me on. And uh, let me know if there's ever anything I can do to help you. And we will soon. see you soon. The Creatives with AI Podcast, the spiritual home of creatives curious about AI and its role in their future. future.